Well, first, the founder of one of this country's largest exporters explains why he's joined other business leaders in a public show of support for a controversial Pacific region free trade agreement known as the TPP. Up to 500 officials from the 11 participating countries launched the 15th round of talks on the Trans-Pacific Partnership in Auckland yesterday. The US President Barack Obama recently set an ambitious informal deadline of October next year to seal the trade deal. The talks are held behind closed doors, which has fuelled concerns among opponents who are worried it could open the New Zealand government to litigation from overseas companies. Weaken the drug-buying agency, Pharmac affect the ability to screen uh, foreign investments currently subject to the Overseas Investment Act. Critics also say a deal could affect other initiatives, such as offering subsidies uh, to attract film production here. Well, their views are based on leaked texts from the negotiations. As we said, they are conducted in secret. The Prime Minister, John Key, has said New Zealand won't sign up to the deal unless it includes an agreement to progressively abolish tariffs on agricultural products exported to the U.S., Graham Harrison is the founder and chairman of Ansco Foods. He's also the chairman of the New Zealand International Business Forum, and he's one of the signatories to an open letter to the Prime Minister, John Key, that supports the negotiations, while also acknowledging their complexity and the importance of getting the deal right. Uh, Sir Graham Harrison, I'll say it just once, is in the studio with me in Wellington. Good morning, nice to see you. Good morning, Catherine. Also with us in the Wellington studio, the economist uh, Bill Rosenberg, the Director of Policy at the Council of Trade Unions. Hi, Bill, how are you? Yeah, good morning. Graham, can we start with you? You're part of this campaign to speak out openly in favour of the negotiations. Why do you feel the need to do so? Well, I think uh, the business community uh, has perhaps taken it uh, too much for granted that New Zealanders actually understand the importance of trade and investment to the economy. Uh, the two leading political parties in New Zealand have always taken a bipartisan approach to international trade negotiations. But there's been uh, some... Uh, uh, signs that uh, maybe uh, that's uh, questioned one under some pressure. So we uh, have uh, got together and uh, felt a need to inform the public uh, of the ongoing importance of trade and foreign investment to the growth of jobs in New Zealand. The importance of the Trans-Pacific Partnership is that it's really aimed at uh, liberalising trade in the Asia-Pacific region. It's more than the 11 that are currently in the negotiations. And let's face it, um, New Zealand would prefer uh, as top priority to be negotiating at the WTO uh, round, the Doha round, which has been in limbo now for over a decade. Very unfortunate. So um, TPP has, has arisen as an alternative uh, negotiating uh, process uh, started out originally in New Zealand with the United States trying to seek a bilateral trade agreement, but um, the, the game's moved on, and, and the, we've got to remember that the basis of the, trans, of the Trans-Pacific Partnership was four countries, four small ones, including New Zealand, with the United States joining to try and uh, put together a comprehensive quality agreement. What is it that... New Zealand business, New Zealand industry is looking for what gains could be expected and for which industries in particular? 
Well, obviously the biggest beneficiaries are, are New Zealand agriculture, and I happen to uh, lead a company which is New Zealand's second largest beef exporter. Uh, dairy is the one that always is talked about, but actually trade barriers are significant to other agricultural industries. Uh, beef is, is the second most affected. For example, our second largest market, Japan, has a 40% tariff, a 38.5% tariff. Uh, our third largest market, Korea, has a 40% tariff. And even where we do have a free trade agreement, say with uh, China, we have behind the border uh, non-tariff barriers. Uh, for example, my company has uh, 11 uh, processing and manufacturing food sites in New Zealand. Uh, three of those are not approved for China, and we've been trying to get access for three years. Those are the sort of things that we want to sort out. We want to see certainty. What prospect of any sort of comprehensive deal on agriculture involving the US? This has been the holy grail for so long. What show of a US president getting a trade deal with agriculture in it through a Senate at a time when his own economy is, you know, in a, in a, in a trough? The latest manufacturing statistics out showing that they've gone backwards in November. Are you going to get agriculture in this deal and get it through? Well, Catherine, first of all, should I just tell you, I wrote my master's thesis on American trade policy and its impact on New Zealand agriculture. That's a long time ago. And you can actually say, well, not a lot has changed. But actually it did. The Uruguay Round, the WTO or GATT Uruguay Round in the mid-1990s, was the first time that agriculture was included in any comprehensive uh, multilateral trade round. So uh, the beginnings were there. Uh, the, the interesting thing is the biggest beneficiary of uh, increased demand for dairy products into China is the United States. Uh, so what you're seeing is that in the United States there is now uh, real recognition that United States agriculture, which is actually one of the most competitive industries, actually has great opportunities in the wider Asia-Pacific region. They also are looking for improved okay. trade access. The reason I ask that question is we're going to talk in a minute about some of the downsides and the concerns that people have, and, and, and Bill will come in in a minute and, and raise some of his concerns with a particular deal. So the starting point has to be, if things are going to be traded off yeah. or lost, uh, what are the gains? And are you telling me you are confident that even in the political situation that the US president is in for his second term, the economic situation that the country is and the long history of resistance to liberalisation of agriculture and trade deals, you think this is going to get through? I, I'm, I'm more confident than I've ever been that uh, we can, in fact, achieve a comprehensive uh, uh, agreement with the United States. The point will be how long does it take to phase out restrictions. So we could be in for a period of 10 to 15 years in which tariffs will be phased out over time, quotas are disappear. So it's not going to happen with a magic wand. Uh, and whatever is negotiated uh, in, a, in the TPP obviously comes back to the individual countries, legislators, uh, before it's ratified. The horse is well and truly bolted by then. I mean, this is put up as the last step is that it goes through a parliament. A government negotiating is negotiating in confidence of having the majority for that 
uh, legislation? Well, uh, it did take a long time for the United States to actually ratify agreements, bilateral right. agreements of South Central American countries. It took a long time for Corus, the agreement between the United States and Korea, to finally get through. And there were compromises okay. on the way through. I was referring to New Zealand's political situation here, not the US, which is... No, but it's yeah. the same thing. It does okay. require a process of ratification. Have, have you put either your own sector or the primary sector generally put a dollar value on its gains, because there are going to be gains and losses, on its gains out of a comprehensive deal? Uh, we have not done it ourselves, per se, but it has been done by a US uh, think tank centre. And I think, Bill, you have the, the numbers. Uh, I haven't actually bought those with me, but they're very significant okay. indeed. Bill Rosenberg, come in now, please. Um, if you would, from the CTU, can you just pick up on that? I mean, you're in the business of, of jobs and a healthy economy. That's for the people you represent, the workers you represent. So do you see gains if agriculture in particular can finally uh, break through uh, in the US and indeed in, in these other nations? Look, certainly if we got increased agricultural access to the US or to any of these other countries, it would mean uh, greater exports. Whether it means greater jobs is a different story. That, that study that, that Graham referred to assumed, in fact, that there would be no extra jobs. We just have jobs moving between sectors. Uh, our concern is, is twofold. One is what you pay to get that access, if indeed you do get it. And I think there's a very big question as to whether we would get it because well, of the, yeah, the, the dairy, the, the very strong lobbies in the in United the States. Mm. Yeah. And, and, you know, uh, uh, even our negotiators, the, the former chief negotiator for New Zealand, Mark Sinclair, made a comment behind closed doors to US embassy officials that they had to manage expectations about this, that, you know, the, the really uh, the, 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 the prospects were not high. Um, but so so one is what we pay for it, and secondly is the, the the issue of where we see our economy going in the future, and that's about diversification. It's about how we encourage high value manufacturing, all those kinds of things. Now, if we just take that first one, what do we pay for it? The United States, according to these studies, will get very little in the trade area itself. So where it's focusing its efforts are in a whole lot of areas that are highly controversial, such as intellectual property rights, and that's where we get into the likes of Pharmac and uh, the internet, digital, uh, digital uh, copyright, those kinds of things. Uh, it wants to control what it, call, it calls state-owned enterprises, but in fact are any kind of government-run uh, or, or, or uh, influenced uh, organisation. Do you make mean them control them? Sorry? What do you mean by control Well, them? it wants... Um, it's saying, look, our companies come into New Zealand, just use as an example, I mean, it's really aimed more at China and Vietnam, countries like that, but we could be collateral damage on this. Uh, it comes... Their companies come into New Zealand, they compete against... Uh, our state-owned enterprises or our, it could even be, you know, ACC or our hospitals or whatever, anything that could, has commercial possibility to it and says, look, that, it's not fair us competing against them because they get, one way or another, they get government support that's not a level playing field. And so it says we must compete on a position of commercial neutrality, which means that governments can't fund these organisations, they can't provide capital, they can't use them for... Uh, wider, wider public purposes such as you know uh, energy efficiency or, or or improving the jobs and them those kinds of things, so that could be quite a significant. Can we just for us. can we just pick up but, on that, Graham? Because let, let's just deal with them one at a time. Because that's yeah. a significant issue, obviously. And the interesting thing that you're in is that you're representing a sector, but one would hope that also all of those business people signing that letter yesterday are looking at New Zealand as a whole. And do you see risks 
if things are not very carefully negotiated, where some of the systems that we have in this little country that we think are efficient and effective and good for society as a whole would be put into a competitive commercial model because of the wording of a deal like this? Catherine, there are definitely risks. Uh, Any negotiation has risks. Uh, The point is that we'll have to weigh up the potential benefits that come from it. And I just can't imagine uh, that we will have a government that is going to ignore uh, those risks. I think uh, you've already heard the Prime Minister say we're not going to put at risk Pharmac. Now, Pharmac may have to change uh, some of its operating uh, uh, modus, but the reality is that the, the government has made it very, very clear that Pharmac is not going. But Pharmac, if it has to change its moderating uh, procedures, may end up like nothing like Pharmac is now, which is able to save the country hundreds of millions of dollars a year, if not a billion a year, by competing very firmly on, on drugs and using generics instead of uh, instead once things come off patent. Now, that is a, that's a dollar cost saving to the country. It's also arguably a wider social service to the country. And if it has to change, what does it mean? It can't do that anymore. Well, I don't know how far it has to change. I can't uh, comment on that at this stage, Catherine, because I don't know where the negotiations have got to. But the reality is we have some very smart people involved in the negotiations. Uh, just as, you know, under Phil Goff as a, a Minister of Overseas Trade, uh, we in business also had a tremendous confidence in him leading the trade negotiations. So Tim Gross is extremely experienced, and the people in our Ministry of Foreign Affairs negotiating team, pretty smart people uh, that we have there. So they're not going to uh, throw away the national interest uh, in, in, in these negotiations. It will become Bill, a matter of weighing up. Bill, that's a fair point, isn't it? Look, the, the issue here is that in the end, these decisions will be down to a political decision. The negotiators will, will batter away at each other at the table to a point where a political decision has to be made over these things. And these political decisions are the kinds of things that we have elections over. These are really important issues. For those to be made by cabinet effectively, effectively behind closed doors, because we won't know about them until the deal is signed, is really a significant breach of our democratic processes. And that's where people are really concerned. That if we are, It's not a matter of the particular officials sitting around the table. It's a matter of those political judgments that are required on those balances. And, you know, one political party, you know, this isn't a dig at any particular political party, but one political party will have different values in terms of or draw that line from another one. And these, these, these decisions will out, last though, for yeah. years afterwards. These <laughs> things are leaking out, though, Bill. It's interesting <laughs> calling it secret negotiations because we've already had concerns around the copyright. We've had leaked chapters on uh, the copyright aspects and how that might affect some of our most talented, <laughs> creative young people here. We've had leaks about the chapter uh, on investment, how that might affect the film industry if you can no longer put up subsidies to compete against others. So quite a lot is coming out and is being publicly debated and... Surely that in itself um, can factor into what the negotiators are, are are doing behind closed doors. I mean, so, they're not they're not yeah. they're not thick, are they? Oh, look, <laughs> I, I, I'm certainly not accusing them of being thick. <laughs> the, the 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 why do we have to run a process that is far more important in many ways than any piece of legislation that goes through our parliament in this kind of 
cloak and dagger kind of way that you have to get the information that the public needs to make an informed judgment. Well, they argue it's because of the strategies involved in negotiating, which is the nearest thing to some kind of supersonic chess game that you'll meet. You know, if if, if too much is out, um, then the ability of the negotiators to just do the hard yards, and God knows it takes Mm. long enough anyway, is undermined. Mm. Is that a reasonable... Well, I mean, there's something to that, but the, the, the issue here is that, you know, they talk about this as being a 21st century agreement, whatever that really means, but in the 21st century, I would have thought we were aiming at greater transparency rather than less. And these are, you know, as I say, this is almost like a constitutional issue because these are things that will will constrain future governments from changing laws and so on. How radically different do you perceive it as being, and we've just said it's in secret, from the China deal that we've just signed, say, and other recent Asian deals, but the question of sovereignty has actually come up. Mm. In the context of deals already signed, Australia's been in the courts with its tobacco industry saying um, no to plain packaging. Whether it wins or loses, long term remains to be seen. We've had the liquor companies here making noises about the move to um, ban alcohol pops and a few veiled threats about that. But these are pre-existing trade deals. They're already there. So there's a lot of concern about those. Um, the, the kinds of deals that we did with China, for example, and typically do with Asia and the... the, the um, Southeast Asian countries tend to be uh, tend not to have as much in these kinds of areas that the United States is really pushing, such as in intellectual property investment, government procurement, and so on. But the ability but, to sue governments was yeah, in those. The, the, I think the difference here is that number one, why would we add to those problems? But number two, United States corporations are well known to be highly litigious. They they really get into these things in a big way. There are lawyers around the world who are offering fee for fee for win so that if they uh, they say we won't charge you anything unless we win these cases so this encourages companies to get into these things Graham that's a really fair point and and I want to come back to Bill's point about the economy no one is going to underestimate the obvious contribution that the primary sector makes and will continue to make but at the same time everyone's saying if we're going to keep getting gains out of it it has got to increase its tech its value added end of things there's only so much grass left out there so you can see the point being made that anything that undermines the creative, the software, uh, the intellectual property side of the New Zealand economy, we're cutting off our nose to spite our face. And the idea of a large, well-heeled United States or anyone else taking on our companies isn't one worth contemplating, is it? Yeah. Well, look, first of all, can I say that um, the idea of negotiating, I just want to come back and pick this up. Look, the WTO rounds, the Uruguay round, which New Zealand gained considerably from, really revolutionised our lamb, chilled lamb trade because we had certainty into the EU, for example, and there were many other benefits that came out of it. Um, The fact is the negotiations took place behind doors. We didn't know, even those of us who were industry insiders, were not certain until the end exactly what was going to come out of it. Our negotiators did extremely well. Um, Rules-based system. New Zealand actually wants a rules-based system. Um, For example, the United States has put countervailing duties on New Zealand products. They've included kiwi fruit, lamb. Uh, What happened? Well, we go through a process. The United States knows the rules. In the end, uh, you can take them to the WTO. The fact is that the United States, after a painful process, gave way because the rules are there. That's what we're actually after. So for New Zealand, we want a rules-based system. Yeah, but we want one that doesn't crush 
Some of our, some so, of so our, yet, admittedly, I mm. mean, we're four million people, yeah, I so, that. so and, and that's the difficulty for the negotiators as well. Mm. It comes down to where that line. Would you agree, Bill? It comes down to where those lines get drawn, and there are some real dangers in what is is happening behind closed doors okay. right now. If we can't win the battles, right? So. Then we come to the issues that you, you just raised about um, making sure our IT sector, etc., is is able to be competitive, is able to be creative. New Zealand's not going to let that go. We actually do want a diverse economy. We don't want everything dependent on, on the primary sector, although the primary sector now has a new uh, lease of life. You've got to remember that we had a history of restrictive uh, trade practices, international trade practices, uh, that really made, was was choking our, 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 our agricultural industries. We've now got a new life. Asia has bought that. The, the last WTO round bought that. It's just occurred to me, Bill, if IP, and, and in many ways intellectual property seems to be at the nub of a lot of the concerns, here we are with a company like Fonterra and its expertise and everyone saying, actually, that's what you've got to be exporting these days as much as milk powder. Actually, some of those provisions, as, as Graham says, might well protect a company which otherwise has various other nations saying, thank you, we'll take the information, we'll take we'll take what you've developed and we'll put it out under our own brand. The IP can work both ways? Look, it can. IP is always a balance between those, protecting those interests of, you know, the, the creation and the commercialisation of knowledge and the interest of a society in having access to those things. And what virtually any IP expert and, you know, whether they're lawyers or economists are saying is the United States model is just going too far towards protecting. Um, Now, what uh, New Zealand actually has has quite a good position on intellectual property, and we just hope it isn't pushed to move further on that. And what it's saying is New Zealand is largely an IP importer rather than an exporter. Therefore, it's in our interest to keep those protections at a at the current levels of a lower level rather than boost them up in the way that the United States wants enforced on Australia and its, its FDA with, with between the two countries. Um, and, and so, yes, uh, Fonterra needs some protection. But to take that to the next step of the, the huge increases in yeah. protection that the United States is asking for um, would damage a whole of other things in New Zealand. And Graham, there's another matter when we talk about the costs of science and health and everything else. So many scientists these days using open source software are saying it is time to just put our stuff out there and make our money a different way. And again, if you're looking at the collective net gains to a small country like New Zealand, you wouldn't want to stymie the, the ability for that to continue developing, would you? No, I wouldn't. The best scientists in the world to cooperate on our biggest problems instead Absolutely. of stitching it up in patents? I mean, on a personal basis, I think the United States uh, is um, uh, it has a negotiating position on this, which is, is, is going to be very difficult for them to sustain. So we'll see. I mean, we don't know. The other matter that's been raised is the geopolitics and all this, which is kind of interesting given it's been running a few years now, the, 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 the idea of the TPP, but certainly the expansion, as you pointed out, the US getting involved changed the game. Uh, and is that a matter that can either work to our advantage? I'm talking here about the sense of competition for influence between China and the US. Can it work to our advantage or potentially, given we want both of them as trading partners, could it work against us, Greg? Well, I believe that uh, TPP in the end... Uh, will be the basis of a uh, of a Asia Pacific uh, agreement, and China is very much central to that. But also, what will happen is it will bring in Japan, and Japan is actually the role model for China, believe it or not. 
people don't actually comprehend that the side of the world but that's actually I lived in Japan for a long time uh, Japan is the is the model in what way given its uh, prolonged because economic malaise uh, it's true but we're really talking about what happened in the 1970s and 80s and the way in which uh, government uh, uh, pushed the industry in certain directions the so-called iron triangle uh, a coalition really between the bureaucrats the politicians and business um, so we're seeing uh, that happening in, in China as well. The game in the end is rules will be established. The United States has got to be central to those rules. One of the reasons why we haven't made it any further in the WTO and why agriculture has always been a problem is because the United States actually sought a waiver in agriculture way back in 1955. And it took to the, the Get Uruguay around to finally bring agriculture back into it. Now the United States has woken up and realised agriculture is one of their competitive industries. Bill, given all the risks and the points that have been raised here, and they can have quite big dollar tags attached, whether it's suppressing an industry that's got a lot of potential because it can't deal with the legals, uh, or, or whether it's the loss or, or greater costs in an area like healthcare because opportunities are lost. But I do want to ask you, if this deal proceeded and New Zealand withdrew. Is that a position you could contemplate? Well, it, it does come down to the balance and, and where we want to see New Zealand going, doesn't it? So I mean, you're saying I'm, there I'm, is a line where we should say no? Absolutely. Look, um, it's really about the, the model you see for New Zealand's future. And if you want to see it developing into some of these high-value-added areas, if you want to see a, a an economy where we encourage high-wage uh, High value product production um, and and latching on much more to the growth in in Asia rather than what is actually kind of the past uh, in in the in North America um, then I think we could we can make a huge mistake if we get into something here look of this um, this this is only a very small part about trade in many ways. It's, um, what is it 20, about 20, in your view? There's, there's 29 chapters in this, and of those, about four about uh, to do with trade. It's very much about the United States. It's, it's actually, The geopolitical is very important. It's very much about the United States uh, trying to uh, impose its model on, on the Asia-Pacific region. Its and model being its, its, model its, its legal intellectual property based. Exactly, mm. yeah. And, and that's very much about these issues which are actually win-lose rather than win-win. Trade can be win-win if it's properly designed. These other things tend to be win-lose. And what the, the, the competing model, if you like, is the one that China, and to extent, as you say, Japan, uh, South Korea, East, uh, Southeast Asia is pushing, which is... Um, much more about those development aspects, about them wanting to, to industrialise, about them wanting to get into those high-value um, areas. And, and, and also and, and often a role in government in that. Very much so. Right. And, and so, you know, we are, if we are going to be involved in these things, we're much better advised to get into that side of things rather than into this kind so, of hyper-globalisation of the United States. So, Graham, can New Zealand and any allies negotiation-wise put sufficient pressure on the states to get a happy medium? I mean, strategically, who are we aligned with and are we fighting the same battles? Well, I believe we can. And, and look, in the end, we could also have the United States resisting uh, some liberalisation of agriculture, no phase-out period. New Zealand will not conclude TPP if that's the case. 
New Zealand does want a comprehensive agreement. So I agree with uh, Bill that unless the thing is comprehensive, unless some of our interests are well looked after, we won't have a TPP. But so far, um, we're at the table negotiating. You will, you'll have to go through a process. And when you get uh, towards the end, of course, there's some hard choices to be made. How far off is the end, Barack Obama, with that rather ambitious deadline of October next year? We've seen ambitious deadlines come and go on a few major global initiatives of late. Uh, is that realistic for a substantial end to negotiations, or is it just the beginning of the end? Um, I can't be, be certain of that, Catherine, but look, the truth of it is, what other gamers are in town? Um, the WTO uh, Doha round is... is uh, is, is stymied at this stage. We hope it'll come alive again. Um, we can continue on trying to negotiate bilateral agreements with places like Korea, Japan, etc. But this game is far bigger and can bring the ball in. Good talking to both of you. Thank you. And we might chat again as things um, progress, especially if any, any more developments come out of these negotiations, a few more leaked chapters or whatever. Thank you very much, Catherine. Thank you. Thank you. Graham Harrison, founder and chairman of Ansco Foods and one, chairman of the International Business Forum and one of those who signed the open letter to uh, the Prime Minister. Bill Rosenberg is CTU economist and director of policy.